In order to reduce stress, rewire the brain, and increase happiness, you must take time off to relax. Most psychologists agree, vacations are good for your health. Of course, no matter how much you prepare and plan for any trip, it won't always be perfect. Little things can go wrong, but usually they're not a big deal. Unfortunately, for those who made today's list, when things went wrong on their vacations, they went deadly wrong. It turned these picture-perfect vacays into unsolved murders, mysterious disappearances, and road trips with a tragic last stop. Hey, all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 deadly vacations. I love how excited we get when we say vacation. <laughs> oh, because we want to go on one so badly. Oh, it makes me, the best vacation I ever went on was by far my honeymoon to Aruba. I know, that was like a lot of years ago, and you still say that was the best vacation. I love it. I'm like dying to go to Aruba. The best place that I ever went on vacation was Bermuda, which like rhymes a little bit. Bermuda, Aruba. Yeah, it was so fun. It was so relaxing. But there was this like super sketchy beach party that we went to that I definitely would not have wanted to be there if, it, <laughs> if I didn't have Drew by my side. I love a sketchy beach party. It was like, what are we, we doing love here? It. <laughs> Nothing sketchy or criminal really occurred on my honeymoon. That's unless, good. Unless you count the ocean stealing John's wedding band on the first day. That's a crime. That's felonious, That's I would say. <laughs> <laughs> felonious ocean felonious what a nerve but this list will definitely have you second guess your upcoming vacation plans yeah i would say so <laughs> i was a bit paranoid before reading this like you know that yes i do but now i may never go on vacation again i'm not gonna take it that far <laughs> i have five vacay getaways and so does elena but neither of us knows which one should have got a refund let's start the countdown Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. 
Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, the disappearance of Tammy Grogan. In 2006, single mom Tammy gets on a four-day cruise out of Texas with her mom, aunt, son, and some other folks who have an odd connection to the family. When the ship returns, Tammy is missing. Years later, still no answers, and Tammy's been declared legally dead. I'm sorry, what? That's what I'm saying. We're starting off with a bang. That's exactly what I said when I first read this. What? Yeah, like, excuse me? So Tammy's mother believes her disappearance has something to do with a then 20-something man named Craig Morgan. What's his deal? What's up with Craig? Tammy's aunt used to babysit Craig as a kid. Craig mysteriously now has a ton of money and shows a liking for Tammy's young son. What? So Tammy reportedly tells Craig that his touchy-feely friendship with her son is wrong and he needed to go away. Yeah, like pack your bags, go. Which, of course. Despite that, Craig sticks around and buys them all tickets on the cruise, plus tickets for his own sister and her ex-boyfriend. Are you getting this <laughs> wild web of things? Yeah, why would you invite your ex-boyfriend on a cruise? So some strange things happened, obviously. Clearly. Tammy's aunt unexpectedly let her and her son have the room with the balcony for the trip. Uh-oh. The night she disappeared, her son says he stayed with Craig's sister and ex-boyfriend. Okay, why? that's sketchy. Yeah. Tammy's mom believes they were drugged. Investigators did find a water glass in Tammy's room with traces of rohypnol, which they also found notes about in Craig's apartment. Like note to self, buy some? Or like, what? Just notations. Okay. (laughs) Just little post-it notes. Gonna need to know more. Ultimately, investigators said they just didn't have enough evidence to bring any charges. But it sounds really sketchy. I feel like whenever you go missing on a boat, they can't figure it out. Never. Never get on a boat again. Don't do it. Don't cruise. At number nine is the Grand Canyon falling deaths. According to CBS News, there were more than 6.4 million visitors to the Grand Canyon in 2018 alone. There were also 17 deaths that year. Most deaths are people ignoring the literal warning signs to get that pick for the gram, only to fall to their deaths but there are some mystery cases. Ooh, tell me. On October 1st, 2018, the bodies of Garrett Bonkowski and Jessica Bartz were discovered near one another by hikers. A fall was suspected, but how and why remains a mystery, and investigators did not rule out foul play. So it's like, there's definitely more to this story. These like state state park things are always really creepy. They are. It was discovered that they had arrived on September 18th. Their car was still where they had parked it and no one had reported them missing. Hmm. In 2019, a 67-year-old man fell 400 feet to his death at the South Rim. Another man fell 1,000 feet to his death while trying to take a photo. Eek. His was the second falling death that week. Wow. Like that week. It's weird. And then in 2020, one woman died from a 100-foot fall while she was also taking a photo. My 
goodness, just take it in. Take it in. Well, and there's also signs to warn people, but a spokesperson for the National Park Service told NBC News, quote, people walk behind the railings, over the top of railings, hang their feet over the edge. Don't do any of that. Yeah, no, don't do that. Just look at the railing. And listen to this warning. Number eight on our countdown of deadly vacations is bodies in hotel beds. Just as a whole. No thanks. You might have heard a version of the urban legend that says a couple is staying in a hotel or a cheap motel and the room smells strange. They look around only to find a dead body hidden in the mattress or under the bed. Well, the scary part to this scary story is it's real. No, thank you. Yes. Now, one example was from 1999. A German tourist couple stayed in a New Jersey hotel. The room had a bad odor. The body of a New York man was found. The victim had been staying in the room prior to the couple and was mysteriously stabbed to death. And then just left there. So murdered. Murdered and shoved under... I can't. That's, I can't. That's bad. Another example is in June 2011. A couple checked into a Salt Lake City motel. They, of course, noticed it smelled really awful. And a body was found in the bed's box spring. <gasps> box spring. That's, like, way too close for comfort. Like, What? From the Deseret News, it said the body had been there for four or five days. That's far too long. That's too many days. That's four or five more days you than wonder, you should be under there. You wonder like how the maid service doesn't smell that. I know, that's the thing. Right? That's crazy. Well, they were identified as Jessica Jensen using fingerprints. Oh. Her stepmother gave them the name of a man she knew who gave Jansen a ride to Salt Lake City. He was arrested and he confessed. Oh, whoa, I was not yes, expecting that. I know. Seven. At number seven this week is the mysterious sickness that killed David and Michelle Paul. While on vacation in Fiji in 2019, David and Michelle Paul came down with an extremely fast acting and mysterious illness that ended up killing them. What exactly they contracted has never been explained. Oh, I hate that. That's the part of this that I was like, someone tell me what happened. I was like, no, I need to leave. Not going to Fiji. Both were in their 30s and very healthy. At first, it was believed that they caught some kind of virus like the flu. Both had texted family that they had been experiencing vomiting and diarrhea. Michelle complained of numbness in her hands, and they'd also had shortness of breath. Oh. Yeah. Now, both went to a clinic and were treated with fluids, but sent back to the hotel room to rest. But it got worse. They went back for more medical help, but it didn't work. Michelle passed away first, and David died two days later. Authorities ruled out the flu. So it's like, what happened here? What is it? It almost sounds like a COVID-y kind of thing. That's what I was thinking. People who came into contact with the Pauls did not seem to be sick. And the CDC helped rule out any sort of infectious disease. So not COVID. However, the toxicology reports were inconclusive. What happened? I don't know. Do you think maybe they were like, that doesn't really sound like poisoning. I'm stressed by that. I'm very stressed about it. Six. 
Also on our list at number six is the unsolved death of Susan Juck. April 26, 1986, 18-year-old Susan was on spring break in Fort Lauderdale when she told her best friend and roommate on the trip that she was going out for a walk alone at 3.30 in the morning. No. Three days later, her body was found in a canal 35 miles away. Why would you let your best friend go on a walk at 3.30 in the morning? This was the first time the Connecticut teen had traveled away from home. Oh, that's gut-wrenching. Classmates think Susan was going to meet up with new friends they'd met in Fort Lauderdale, and she ran into her killer along the way. Oh, man. The autopsy was inconclusive on the cause of death. Not enough evidence to determine if it was an accidental death or a homicide. Okay. There were no obvious signs of fatal injuries, but the body had already decomposed quite a bit, making that kind of difficult to determine completely. Yeah, I feel like whenever you're found in water, it like yeah. makes everything tough that to really, determine. Yeah, that really ruins a lot of evidence. No clear evidence she died from drowning was found. Okay. No narcotics were discovered. She had alcohol in her system, but basically the amount her friends said she had drank that night. So Susan's classmates said a woman told them she saw Susan at a Howard Johnson's the morning she disappeared with an unknown blonde man. Ooh, never trust a blonde man. I need to know what happened here. I do too. So, so far, I'm not going on vacation ever again. No, I think I'm all set. I'm also never going for a walk again. Yeah, I think I've seen what I saw of the world and I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna hang. What is it called when you only stay at your house? Uh, I'm a hermit. Yeah, I'm gonna be a hermit <laughs> from now on. Yeah, I'm just, I'm agoraphobic at this yeah, point. That's, that's yeah, that's what I was actually go. thinking that's, of. That's me. Let's be that together. Let's be that together. You want to be that with us, everybody? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see what the next ones are. Oh, man. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new True Crime Limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland, where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico, where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer and travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of deadly vacations. Starting off the second half of our list, the murder of Monica Beresford Redman. Monica traveled to Cancun in 2010 with her husband, Bruce, and their two children. After Bruce reported her missing, Monica's remains were discovered. 
Bruce was tried and convicted for killing his wife on her 42nd birthday. What? Yeah, this case is bonkers. Hate it. Monica was a restaurateur. Bruce was a TV producer on Survivor. So that fed the media frenzy around this crime. Like, oh, yeah. Totally. Now I think I remember this. I do too, yeah. Yeah. Monica's body was discovered hidden in a sewer, and <gasps> evidence quickly led to Bruce. Your wife. How do you put your, number one, how do you kill your wife, but then to dispose of her in, in a, a sewer? sewer? Wow. Nuts. Other vacationers reported screams coming from their hotel room, and Monica's blood was found in the room. Bruce had what might be defensive wounds, but he said he did not know where they came from. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he said that. The investigation found that Bruce was having an affair, which is like, hello, real nice, smoking gun. It's unclear if it was still happening, but proved ongoing conflict between the couple. Reportedly, when Monica found out about the affair, she withdrew a large sum of money from their joint bank account, and she said that she would give it back only if they got a divorce and divided everything in half, which wow. I think that sounds fair. I think so. Cheat on me. I want to split everything. <laughs> Bruce maintains he did not kill his wife. The children were the only beneficiaries named on Monica's life insurance policy, which is interesting. That is very interesting. Like he got rid of her, but he didn't get anything. Hmm. I mean, it takes away that motive. Uh, yeah. At least. Yeah. Bruce was sentenced to just 12 years in prison, mainly in Mexico, and he served only seven and a half years. He's already out. No. Yeah, he is just out there lurking. It's so weird. It is weird. This case is a lot. Yeah. Four. Landing at number four this week is the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. 18-year-old Natalie went to Aruba on a senior class trip. On the last night in Aruba, she was seen getting into a car with three young men she'd met at a bar, and she had not been seen since. The case became international news. Her remains were not found, but she was declared dead in 2012. I remember this being the hugest case. Oh, yeah. Like, massive. This was another one that any news station you turned on in the morning, they were talking about Natalie Holloway. Yeah, and it just kept going. I remember I was young when this happened, too, yeah. and I was so scared. So that final night, Natalie and her classmates went to a bar called Carlos and Charlie's. At closing time, around 1 a.m., everyone just scattered to different parties, mm -hmm. which is pretty normal. Yeah. Natalie was last seen at 1.30 a.m. on May 30th, 2005. She was in a car with three men, Joran Vandersloot, Deepak Kalpo, and Satish Kalpo. The next morning, she didn't show up to head back to Alabama and had not returned to her room at all. Within 24 hours, her mother, Beth, was in Aruba and face-to-face -face with Vandersloot, which, like, That yes. must have been bananas for her mom. I can't even fathom it. And so began months and then years of his story changing about what happened that night. The amount of times that he changed his story. He is a monster. Straight up monster. Seriously. He originally said he left her at her hotel, but security footage proved otherwise. He said he left her on the beach. In 2008, he got caught on tape saying how she died, but that couldn't be corroborated. In 2010, he said he'd reveal where her body was for money, but nothing came of Which it. Which is just all, like you're gonna do it for money? And like, I remember what? that too, and everyone was like, I just wanna know. Yeah. All three men walked free in terms of this case, but Vandersloot went to prison in 2012 for the murder of another woman in Peru. Yeah, so let's like, I feel like, Vandersloot, hello. hello.
three. Number three on our countdown of deadly vacations is the tragic road trip of Hazel and Nancy Frome. 46-year-old Hazel and her 23-year-old daughter Nancy planned a cross-country vacation to visit family in 1938, driving from San Francisco to Paris Island, South Carolina. Unfortunately, they had car trouble, and after spending a few days living it up in Juarez near El Paso while the car got fixed, the two were found savagely murdered in the desert. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nancy had recently graduated from college, and as a graduation present, she had just gotten a new car. But nearing the Texas border, the engine began to make a funny sound. They had to have it checked out, and it needed a replacement part. But they had to wait five days for the part to come in. That's like the beginning of a horror movie. Oh my god, you just took the words right out of my (laughs) mouth. That's straight up the beginning of a horror movie. just gonna say that. So, Hazel and Nancy spent time checking out El Paso, Texas, and Juarez, Mexico, going around shopping and dancing. You know, they're on vacation, yeah. having a good time. Yeah, you have five days. You right. might as well make it worth it. Exactly. So, March 29th, 1938, the car is fixed and the woman get back on the road. But the very next day, the shiny new car was discovered abandoned and a massive search was quickly underway. The next day, the bodies of Hazel and Nancy were found. They'd both been tortured and beaten. Like, that's the part that I'm like, what? A truck driver claimed that he had seen their car not once, but twice being followed by another car. And then here's the weird thing. If robbery was the motive, it's strange because the women were still wearing a couple pieces of expensive jewelry. Oh, that's even scarier. Right? The murder remains unsolved, and accusation theories range from acquaintances from California to new people that they met in Juarez, and also stems to like drug smugglers and Nazi spies. Whoa. Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, honestly, anything at that point. Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah. That last one was a crazy one. I've never heard of that. I know. I want to look more into it, too, and do like a full length one for Morbid. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's insane. I know. I can only imagine after that what one and two will be. I know. Well, I mean, I'm a I know scared. what one is. <laughs> we always do that. <laughs> I know. I was like, I wonder what the next two are. They're well, like, I know one. <laughs> I want to know what number one is. All so right, let's well, go. First, tell me what number two is. I'm going. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of deadly vacations. At number two is the Palmyra Island murders. In the summer of 1974, married couple Malcolm Mack Graham and Eleanor Muff Graham left Hawaii on their boat, the Sea Wind, and headed south for the remote Palmyra Atoll, which is a small island. It's on this secluded island that they'd meet another couple in the mysterious end to their lives. Oh my God, the fact that their names are Mac and Muff is the cutest Mac thing I've ever Muff. heard. Mac and Muff. Stop. Oh, I hate this. Mac and Muff were on the island when Buck Dwayne Walker and Stephanie Stearns arrived and dropped anchor. They introduced themselves using aliases. The two couples stayed on the island for several weeks. During this time, more visitors came and went... The Grahams sometimes hosted people on their ship, but not Walker or Stearns. Hmm. Hmm. So maybe they had an off feeling about them to begin with. At some point, 
things turned deadly. Oh no. Walker and Stearns were later found with the Grimms' boat, Seawind, and were charged with theft. That's shady. Then in 1981, a metal chest just washed ashore, like in the movies. Inside were the remains of Eleanor Muff Graham. Stop, that's also like a movie. Yes, her skull showed evidence of a bullet hole, bludgeoning and fire. Wow. Yeah. How did they do that all on an island? I'm saying Walker and Stearns were then charged with the murder because they had the boat. Yeah. They were tried separately. Buck Dwayne Walker was convicted of murdering Muff. Stephanie Stearns was acquitted. I wonder why she was acquitted. I know. And the sad part, the saddest part here is Max remains have never been found. That's always the worst part of any case like this. This case makes me so sad. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 deadly vacations, the Robison family murders, also referred to as the Goodhart murders. In July 1968, a family of six, Richard Robison, his wife Shirley, and their four children were found murdered in their summer vacation cottage in Michigan. By the time they were discovered, they'd been dead almost a month. <sighs> All six had been shot and the youngest child had been bludgeoned. Wow. Gnarly, gnarly case. Initially, it was thought to be a random killing, but then all locals were cleared. But then a business associate of Richard Robison, Joe Scalaro, became the main suspect when things in his story just weren't adding up. Scalaro was in charge of things while Robison planned to be away for a couple months, both spending time with his family and landing what he'd hinted at would be a huge mystery deal. Hmm. Which is like, if he was going to make a lot of money, I wonder if that's, that's involved. That's exactly what I was thinking. Investigators discovered Scalaro had embezzled tens of thousands from the ad agency. There was evidence that Robison found out about it on the last day of Ooh. his life. Ooh. Yup. Now, Scalaro took three lie detector tests and failed them all. He liked guns and had owned the type that had been used in the murders, an AR-7. I mean, come on. Right? The hammer used in the murders was found on site, but this is one of the most frustrating things I've ever heard of. One of the responding officers cleaned it up. What? Like, why would you clean that? Oh, my God. So the hope, any hopes of fingerprinting that just went right out the window. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's next level. Unreal. Scolaro actually died by suicide in 1973, and the note he left stated that he was not a killer, just a cheat that was in deep, deep debt. Hmm. It's weird that he didn't make some kind of like, you yeah. know, deathbed confession. The case remains unsolved, and many believe that Scolaro was the killer, but with any murder mystery, there's always varying theories. Ooh, that's a crazy one. We've been agreeing with the Parkhouse Research Gods a lot lately. They are, no pun intended, or maybe very intended, killing it. I know. I, yeah, I said that last time and I felt like I should have said no pun intended. <laughs> they really are. I can't think of anything that was left off. Can you? No. Not I mean, right now, at least. The ones you really think of first and foremost is Natalie Holloway. Absolutely. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe Madeline McCann. Yeah. I would say that might be one, mm -hmm. but I mean... They hit everything else. They really did. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. 
Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other ParCast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at ParCast on Facebook and Instagram and at ParCast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which we hope you do, you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast and on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. And guys, keep it weird till next Monday, but maybe don't book a vacation. Keep it weird at home. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerline. Research by Mickey Taylor. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock. Some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.